Uh, good to see you, everybody. I'm going to go ahead and get going because, hey, Julie, can you turn it down just a little bit? I could hear pretty feedback. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get going because I've got four pages of notes, and normally I have two pages, so I know I'm going to be struggling to get through this. Uh, but while people are coming in, let me ask you a question. What's the number one reason why people don't go to Sunday school? That's good. That's good. I heard it's because they've been before. All right. And so our, one of our goals is at Grace Church, we, we, we try to make it worthwhile for you to get up. And that you come here uh, with not hearing what Mr. Cliff said, what, what Mr. John said, but what, what the word of the Lord said. And that you got a word from him. Uh, we want to make it worth your while. And I, and I appreciate our, uh, our teachers who, uh, like Mr. Cliff, who labor to make sure that, that it's not boring it's a sin, I think, to, to make God's Word boring. And uh, we're going to be in a text this morning that I could bore you to death with this text in 1 Timothy 3, uh, in the first seven verses, but uh, I'm going to try to make it worthwhile. Uh, question, the most important job on the planet is what? What do you think? Being a mom. Being a mom. I'd agree with that. Parents. Being parents. Anything else? What do you think? Most important job on the planet? Discipleship. Discipleship. That's good. I mean, it's hard to beat the parent one. That's, that's, yeah. that's part of the problem with the breakdown of society. Um, I would put in the same category the job of a pastor. Um, I would put in the same category. How about this? Whatever God has called you to do, with your life, that's the most important job. He's called every single one of us in this room to do something for him. Uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Let me let me just read this to you. You don't have to turn there because we're going to be in First Timothy three. But this is uh, part of the responsibility, part of the job that me and Mr. Cliff, Mr. Dane, uh, Dr. Allen have. This is this is a verse that kind of keeps me at, up at night sometimes. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. What that tells me is that I'm going to have to stand before the Lord one day and give an account for how I did in serving under this, this role as an elder and the people that he assigned. Uh, and that keeps me awake at night because there's some, some people that I know that since I've, I've, I've known them for the last five, six years, they're in the same spot spiritually as they were five years ago. And I don't know how to get them to take that next step in their walk with Christ. You remember that, um, that series that Dr. Allen did in, in the book of Genesis uh, when we talked about Joseph and, and just the, 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 um, how to be a leader. That was basically lessons in leadership. That was the whole series in, 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 in Genesis that we went through a few months ago. And his point was that every single one of us in this room, if you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you have the potential to be a leader. Uh, everything rises and falls with leadership is what he said. Um, and if we do not produce leaders in this generation today, if we do not uh, produce leaders in this generation, there's going to be something that's going to happen much worse to our grandchildren's generation than for them to lose the right to bear arms. They will lose the gospel. That's how important it is. 
the freedoms guaranteed in the Bill of Rights fail to compare when a generation loses the gospel. And that's why we have to produce leaders. Dr. Allen said it this way, salvation is unconditional, leadership is not. So what qualities, what characteristics do leaders have? And I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about leaders in, in the church. Uh, well, it actually be maybe more than that, but, but next week, Colin is going to be talking about the office of deacons, and today we're going to tackle the office of an elder. Uh, to give you some background, you remember um, when Mr. Cliff uh, taught the introduction on the, on the book of 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy is Paul writing to his uh, best disciple, uh, Paul writing to his best disciple, Timothy, and just giving him instructions how to run the church at Ephesus. And uh, how it should be set up, how it should function. And, and by chapter 3, we're beginning to understand what the problem at the church of Ephesus was. Anybody want to take a guess? Leadership. Leadership was the issue. Uh, and this morning, you know, I want to talk to you about what, a, what an elder does. And we're not talking about Mormonism. That's how far we have come in this, in this country, in our, in, our, in our Christian walk, that when the Bible uses a word, we don't even know that that's a Bible word. Not in the Book of Mormon, it's the Bible word, elder. Elder is just interchangeable with pastor, with bishop, with uh, overseer, um, shepherd. You may say those are all interchangeable words. All, all it means is pastor. Um, uh, just a different translation will use different, different words. Um, and and uh, so let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 through 7, if you have the little uh, listening guide outline, I put both passages on the top of that this morning. If you don't have them, they're on the table out there in the, in the, in the lobby. Uh, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read them, okay? 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, skillful in teaching, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. Alright? Now let me read the, the, uh, the passage in Titus, chapter 1. And it's going to sound very, very, very similar. Uh, 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 similar. Uh, starting in verse 9 in chapter 1 in Titus. Paul writes to Timothy again. He says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, 
holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict it. All right. So, what... You read those qualifications, and really, all those qualifications are really just describing a mature believer in Jesus Christ, except really for one thing. Anybody, can anybody see it? Teaching. All right, and in 1 Timothy 3, and verse 2, it says, skillful in teaching, and then look at verse, in Titus chapter 1, that verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict it. When we're talking about elders, I don't want ladies just to turn me off because this, oh, this, this, this Sunday school lesson is, is, isn't for me. Just like the men last week, we didn't, we didn't tune out Dr. Allen because we got a good word from that too. All these qualifications are something that we should all aspire to. Elsewhere in the Bible, just being a mature believer, this is what it looks like, right? Except for one thing, skillful in teaching. That's what, uh, what, 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 what Colin's going to get into next week. The difference between a deacon and an elder is going to be this right here. Uh, and so look what, at verse 9 with me in, in Titus chapter 1. Holding fast the faithful words as he has been taught. What does that imply? He's got to have a level of teaching. And, and, and at some point, it means that he has been taught himself, right? How many of us have had a mentor before in the church? That's more hands than I was expecting. Praise God. That, that encourages me because that's rare, actually, these days. But, but, but it's holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, meaning he has, he has been teachable at some point in his life. Uh, I've heard it say this way. I don't know if it's true, but I like it. The most important characteristic of a, of, a, of a leader is what? Colin? He's fat. He's fat? <laughs> the mo- <laughs> he, sorry, I got him, I, he had a big old donut in his mouth or something. Most important characteristic of a leader is what? Humility. Humility. Second most important characteristic of a leader is what? Humility. Humility. And the third? Humility. Humility. Why? Because if they're not humble, they'll never be teachable. All right? Humility uh, makes the heart soft so that they can be a sponge and actually be taught. And the faithful word they have been taught, they hold fast to it. That's what that is saying in verse 9. One French... Historian that came to America back, back in the 1700s. Uh, right after the First Great Awakening. Everybody know what the First Great Awakening was? First Great Awakening was when revival broke loose in this country. Uh, there was something called a, a Second Great Awakening, but it didn't have the impact like the First Great Awakening did in, in, in the United States of America. And, and, and Well, before even that, when the colonies... It was before the Revolutionary War broke out, probably like 1740. This is what he said. I looked throughout America to find where her greatness originated. 
I looked for it in her harbors and on her shorelines, in her fertile fields and boundless prairies, and in her gold mines and vast world commerce, but it was not there. It was not until I went to the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her success. The pulpits. That's what made America great. Grace Church, there has been a spiritual pandemic going on in our country for a long time. It didn't happen in November. It's been going on for a long, long time. There was a missionary in the 1950s named Jim Elliott that was trying to sound the alarm back then. You had leaders like A.W. Tozer and Leonard Ravenhill trying to sound the alarm 50 years ago. And this is what they were sounding the alarm, alarm about 50 years ago. Christianity in America is dying. I don't know if it... That's hard for me to get up here and say that. But when we look out... When we look on the news and we see what's going on in this country, it is a direct result, in my opinion, of what is going on inside our churches. Okay? And, if, and at all, you can trace it back to the pulpits, I think. Dr. Allen in here? I need Dr. Allen in here because I want him to back me up on that. Uh, I, I think you can trace it back to the pulpits. The number of people in America that do not attend church has doubled in the past 15 years. 90% of males who are being raised in the church will abandon it by their 20th birthday. 90% of males who are being raised in the church today will abandon it by their 20th birthday. Now, some of them come back when they start having kids, but a lot of them don't. 80% of the churches in America are plateaued or dying. Okay? And I don't want to stand up here and sound arrogant like I'm a know-it-all. And, and then we leave the room discouraged today. Hey, by the way, where is Christianity growing the most rapidly right now? Where? Iran. Iran. Thank you. Good job. So just, you, just in case you thought that, 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 that there is not power in the gospel and that he will not build his church, well, you're wrong. He will. But there is a serious problem in our country, and it's not who our politicians are. That's a result of what is happening in the church. Grace Church, I want you to, before we get into these... Uh, qualifications of a leader that I think churches need today. I want to I want to kind of just do a hypothetical tell you a hypothetical story here. Just just imagine this. Imagine your grandchildren in about 30 years and their church history book that they're going to be reading about what happened to the churches in our country, especially the churches in the Bible Belt. That what happened? And you know, I know this is kind of a generalized, my thoughts. It's not true for every single church. It's not, 
but this, 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 is, this is what I feel like is happening. Didn't happen yesterday, but many, many, many years ago, a church, they hire a pastor who does not have skillful in teaching, and he is not holding firm to this book right here. And so he has to do all this gimmicky stuff to make it look like that there's the power of God is moving in the building. And every year he puts out signs in the churchyard that there's going to be revival happening. And every year is Groundhog Day. And the community see that there is no power because the people are leaving the same way as they came. And so the church starts losing its effectiveness to be salt and light. And they start doing all this stuff to make it look like ministry is happening. People get baptized, most of them kids, probably hundreds over the years, but church membership never rises. How about, how, let me rephrase that, church attendance never rises. And the most of them go MIA. We can't even find them. And the older church leaders are dying off, and these people that were baptized and are never raised up to replace them. Instead of preaching the riches of Christ, he told stories. He, instead of motivating through the gospel, he motivated through guilt. Instead of praying for God to move, they would, have, they would just rely on the next big idea, uh, our skills, our charisma. Lost people stop getting saved because 1 Peter 1 says people are born again through the living and abiding word of God. Sheep stopped growing in their walk because they're no longer being given sheep food. And the mature believers, they began to leave the church services on Sunday morning frustrated, angry, not knowing what to do. They stopped giving because they, they were tired of seeing their money wasted for things that don't make a difference in the kingdom of God. And eventually they stop going because they're sick of spiritually starving. Or they just give up on the inside and they sit on the pew for the rest of their days until the Lord takes them home. Because discipleship wasn't happening, born-again Christians came to the same Sunday school class for 30 years like it was Groundhog Day. Never growing up, people in that class never growing up and being a leader themselves and being mobilized to do something else. I mean, how many times can you have a Bible study through the book of James? Because few leaders were being raised up when that pastor finally stepped down, and because he mentored nobody to take his place, the church was left in a difficult position because there's so few leaders left. The leaders left didn't know who to get, to hire, to put in as pastor. And they had to buy a leader from another church because they were unable to build their own leader within their walls. And from a stack of resumes, they picked the one that was the youngest guy that could connect with families. 
And he came in, and to his credit, he tried everything. We're going to shorten our, our sermons. We're going to make them 20 minutes because average American, they can't listen that long. We're going to, actually, let's not talk, we're not going to call them sermons. We're going to call them talks because sermons are offensive. And we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to renovate our entire building and build new buildings because that's why lost people aren't coming. That's why they don't care. We need to be more relevant. Let's make things nicer. We need to offer more amenities for people to come. He tried everything but never fixed the problem of why the church was declining to begin with. And that church that was running 600, 700 one day started running 75 with the average age in the building probably older than that. And he's one, one mistake like having an affair on his wife from, the, from that church shutting the doors down entirely. Am I right? Yes. Something like that is what is going on in your average church. I'm not saying what church. I'm just saying that is what's happening across our country. Right there. The problem is we need more men that will stand up in verse 9. And hold fast to the faithful word as taught for the last 2,000 years. Amen. That who are able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict it. Amen. Listen, I'm willing to, 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 to empty out my bank account and say if we could re- reproduce that man in the back and put him in every pulpit in this country, our country would turn around. I promise you it would. I promise you it would. What is holding firm mean? Holding firm means to cling. To cling. We need more elders who will cling to the faithful word. I'm reminded of that song. I will cling to the old rugged cross. If you've got to cling to something, that means people are trying to take it away from you, by the way. There are pressures for you to let it go. You have to cling to it. Cling means, Timothy, I want you to find men that you would have to take the Bible out of their cold, dead hands. It means that when, when, when someone is cut by life, they bleed Bible. The Bible shapes who they are, what they think, what they believe. That's the, that's the hill that they're willing to die on. This word right here. It means, Timothy, I know you're a shy young man. You could probably say this about Dr. Allen when he was called to ministry. That you're an introvert and you would rather stay seated... But I have not left you as an orphan. I have sent the Spirit of God inside of you, and I want you to get up and speak God's word to God's people. The elders are the ones who hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught for the past 2,000 years, and they continually get up and say, Thus saith the Lord. You can get deacons to do your hospital visits for you, you can hire staff. To run the day-to-day affairs, but you cannot get someone to get up here on Sunday morning and say, thus saith the Lord in your place. Thomas Lee, 
one of uh, the guy that wrote our, one of the commentaries that we're using in Sunday school, he said the pastor leads the church, he teaches God's word, and he wins the hearts of people by service to the flock. We're, gonna, we're working on putting some plumb lines around our building, and one of the new plumb lines that we have, uh, have come up with, we're going to write this and put it on the wall. It says that we believe that the Bible is the authoritative and final inspired word of God through which he speaks to his church today. Y'all believe that? It means that you want to hear God speak to you audibly? Read your Bible out loud. That's what that means. And look, and look, and, and look at verse 9. We're, we are to hold firm to the message for two reasons. So that. Purpose clause. We hold, we hold firm to the message for two reasons. That he may be able to... Exhort, which is another word for encourage, those by it. And then number two, to refute or convict those who distort or contradict it. You know, the good news is by its nature, good news. It's encouraging. Meaning if you came to church over and over again and heard the word of God and left more discouraged week in and week out than you came then you didn't not hear the word of God. Because the word of God by its nature is encouraging. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. By its nature, it's encouraging. The good news, it, it, it brings joy, it, it produces peace, it produces contentment. Because it, it shines a light on the one where you find all those things. And so when you leave here, Proverbs 4.20, it says, My son, give attention to my words, for they are life to those who find them. What did Peter tell Jesus? Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. That's what this book is. Number two, they hold firm to the message so that they may be able to encourage. And then number two, to convict or rebuke those who distort it. You know, there's a reason why you hear Dr. Allen so many times. I can kind of just picture him, his voice saying and kind of slapping the table and saying, that is heresy. How many times have you heard him say that? Because that's his job. Don't be led astray. Cut out that nonsense. That's, that is contrary to the word of God. He'll even stop a series in the middle of it and do an excursus on a whole different topic to refute those who are contradicting, contradicting God's word in our church. He'll do it. He's not afraid to do it. Praise God for men like that. Verse 1. Let's go to 1 Timothy 3 now. Verse 1. It says, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. You know what I think the church is in need of? The church is in need of some elders that desire to be an elder. You know there's a lot of them that don't. I'm thankful for Grace Church because this is a place where you can serve joyfully. But it's not like that in a lot of places. 
Hey, y'all, you know there's another pandemic going on? Something that you can add to your prayer list? Remember, uh, uh, Matt talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 2, praying for, for all men. Pray for pastors right now in this country. You know, with this pandemic thing, almost every single friend I've got is just discouraged that's in the ministry. Ready to quit. They won't tell people that, but just, it's just hard. It's just not, they can't win. Whatever decision they make, it's the wrong decision. If they close the church down, they're a coward. If they make people wear masks, they're an idiot. They just can't win. And in December, they're looking around and they see 25% maybe of their church there. They're just ready to throw in the towel. We need elders who desire to be elders. Last week, ladies, Dr. Allen was not kidding when he said, it is beneath you to do what I do. If I could ask him to come up here and take his shirt off so you could see the spiritual scars that he's got in 30 years of ministry, I'm not kidding. Goats and sheep bite. And we need more elders that desire to be an elder and not just show up to get a paycheck. H.B. Charles, a pastor, once asked his daddy when he was about 16 years old. He became a pastor when he was like 17. Daddy, how do I know I'm called in the ministry? How do I know I'm called to preach? And his daddy said, what do you say, Dane? Yeah. How do, what, did I this talk? I'm sorry. He, he said, Daddy, how do I know I'm called to preach? And his daddy said, do whatever you can to not preach, son. And walked away. And he's like, what kind of answer was that? <laughs> well, you know, his daddy ended up dying before he had explained him that to him. And now he's been a pastor for 20 years. He knows exactly what his daddy was saying. That if you can shut your mouth and not preach God's word, then you were never called to preach, son. Look at what, what the prophet Jeremiah said. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. I cannot. I talked to Colin the other night what the difference between a deacon and an elder is. And I said, Colin, if you can picture yourself in the ministry for the next 30 years and have no avenue to teach God's word with grace group, with Sunday school, with preaching, and you're okay with that, now that's fine with you, then you're not called to be an elder. Mr. Cliff, am I right? Amen. Can you picture yourself never teaching God's word again? Uh, uh, not hardly. Yeah. You, you, it, would eat at, it would eat at you in the inside, right? I was already wanting to help you out a little this morning. Yeah, yeah, good. Please, I need it, I need it. When is that paycheck coming? Yeah, I know. We're getting to that. That's coming, that's coming. Do you have this desire? Do you have this desire, can I tell you? According by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 1. It's a good work. It's honorable. Do you have the desire to, to have a front row seat to watch God work in his people? Do you have a God-given desire to be a part of the most special days of their lives, like their wedding, the birth of their children, their funerals, their baptisms, the spiritual victories, 
Do you have a God-given desire to have the most fulfilling and purposeful years of your life being a servant leader of the Most High King that brings glory to Him and helps to build up the kingdom of God? It's a good desire. Philip Brooks wrote, If any man is called to preach, don't stoop to be a king. But there is a person... An elder first must be. First Timothy gives you 15 qualifications. And I think I'm, I don't have time to go over all of them. I got about 20 more minutes. I'm going to pick out maybe four and talk about some of the ones that I think we get this wrong and it is going to be detrimental to the church. Not that they're all not important because they are. But the church today needs elders who are leaders of their own family. According to Paul, leadership in your own family is proving grounds for leadership in the church. And according to Paul, there are two aspects of this. Number one, look at, uh, look at verse 2 with me. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Now, I've seen a lot of, a lot of churches just run with that and say, well, you've got to be married to be a pastor. You, you can't ever be divorced to be a pastor, and on and on and on. It's not what that means. That means an elder must be a one-woman man. That's what that means. A one-woman man. What, is, what does a one-woman man mean? Anybody have an idea? One woman man. What does that mean? Sometimes we overcomplicate it. It means he has a long-standing history of being in love with his wife. He's not looking at pornography. He's not having emotional affairs with other women. That man, John Wilson, is in love with Sarah Joyce Wilson, and that is his wife, and that's the only woman he wants to be with. Church needs men like that. It seems like every month I'm sending Evan and Tristan and Colin a text with some article of some high-profile Christian leader who has had an affair on his wife. And you know what that does? Destroys his church. How many churches do you know that used to be doing this, and after that they have never even recovered? Not only must they be a one-woman man, they must be the manager of their own household. The manager of their own household. I'm, I'm thinking of baseball, the managers. and they, It's when they call out the closer and the, 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 the relief pitcher and they go and pull the starter because he's getting, you know, sets the lineup. Manager. Manager of his own household. Verse 4. He must be the one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. You know, if we can't manage our small flock under our own roof, there's no way we can manage God's people under his roof. It would be unhealthy, actually, for you, for, God, for your family, and for God's people for you to try. It'd be unhealthy for everybody involved. You'd probably lose your family, and God's people would suffer because of it. 
There's a verse in, in Proverbs. Y'all, y'all remember this one. Train up a child in the way he should go. And what? And when he's older, he will not depart from it. To train up a child. That tells me a lot. First off, it tells me to train up a child, not a teenager. It's too late. You've got to start when they're itty-bitty. If you don't get into them in that first two years of their life, it almost might be impossible to, t- to train them then. Uh, train up a child in the way they should go. The way they should go. Meaning they don't know which way they're going. You know, if you a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have to teach your child to do the wrong things. You have to constantly teach them how to do the right things. They instinctively know, because we have sinful hearts, what how to get in trouble and how to be mean and, 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 and how to get, go the wrong way. We have to train them. Now, train is a word that a lot of us, you know, it's like going to the gym and training a muscle. It's not going to happen overnight. It's a, you know, it takes time. It takes work. It takes discipline. It's so much easier to not train them. And, and, and if I see a, a house and the kids are going crazy, you, you know what's usually happening? The kids are training the parents instead of the parents are training the kids. And let, me ha- let me show you how I learned this. When we had Ann, I was reading a book called Train Up Your Child. That's what it was called. And uh, we had Ann, and I, and I had the remote control here, and every, every five seconds she's trying to steal my remote control. And so what did I do? I got the remote. And I put it higher so she couldn't get it. That kid trained me to learn a new behavior instead of me training her not to touch the remote. You see that? Okay, that's, what, that's what's happening to a lot of our parents. Hey, we have, a, we have a child, and that child now determines if we get up and go to church or not. We have a child, and no longer we're, we're not going to go out to restaurants. We're not going to have people over. Then we, early on in our marriage, me and my wife said, you know what, it's going to be hard, but we're going to take our kids, it doesn't matter how old they are, we're going to take them to, wherever we go, we're going to bring them. And they're going to have to adapt and learn to do it what we do, not vice versa. We have set out from the get-go to capture their hearts. And it's, it's hard, y'all. Amen. To capture your child's heart. How, how do you capture your child's heart? I asked, I ask, you know, I, I asked Mr. Cliff this. How did you do this? You know, I don't know if you spent five minutes with Cliff before at his house, and, and a lot of times they'll get a call from one of their, one of their children. Except for Mac. Mac. Mac doesn't call. He's... <laughs> but their daughter in Asia, their son, their grown son, how do you have this relationship where you, it's clear you have their heart? And Cliff gave me an answer. He, he said on Saturdays, I'd get up, and it would be Daddy Day. I'd just take him with me, and we'd go have some quality time, and I'd take him out to eat and take him to do something fun every Saturday morning, right? And I'd get two things. I'd let Myra have a break, 
and he got some quality time with his kids. And so I started doing that. I started doing that with Aunt Kate and, and Evelyn. We went to Waffle House the other day and took them to go get donuts and all that. But, you know, I think it's more than that. I asked Matt the same question. You know what Matt told me? I said, Matt, how does, how does your dad have, have y'all's hearts like he does? His own son, this is what he said. He has the ability to stop what he's doing, no matter how busy he is, and make you feel like you're the most important person in the room. Y'all, how do you capture your child's heart? The same way Jesus Christ captured your heart. We need elders who are the manager of their own household. And by the way, when they become an elder, they must not sacrifice their own household for the sake of God's household. They must not sacrifice their own household for the sake of God's household. You ever heard of a PK? Because of that, because of this right here, there's something called a PK, which means a preacher's kid who is in absolute rebellion against the Lord and the church. And you know why? It didn't start like that overnight. But this is what happened. Daddy was trying so hard to serve the flock of God's people that he neglected his own family. Little, 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 their little, the little kid at first was hurt. And then the hurt turned into bitterness, and now he hates the church because it stole his daddy away from him. Okay? We must not sacrifice their own household for the sake of God's household. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, it, hey, I had to, last few years, learn how to grow in this area. One of the best things that a pastor told me, and I'm trying, this thing right here is the enemy. And you come home... Best thing you can do is put this on top of the refrigerator and you have those few hours with your kids before bedtime. The best thing you can do. You may not have much time, but make it, make it quality time. 1 Peter 5, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You know, here's another good example for the flock. I think of Dane Caldwell. You know, you know, you know him and, and Cheryl? One of the... One of the um, Qualifications here in First Timothy and in Titus is being hospitable. Do you know on Wednesday and Thursday nights of every week right now they're having over twenty people in their house every every single night on Wednesday and Thursday nights, making dinner twice for two people for 20, over twenty people. Must be hospitable. Must enjoy having people in their home. In a pandemic, y'all. Serve as examples to the flock. Next, the church needs elders who are gentle. Who are gentle. They deal with others as the Lord has dealt with them. 
Uh, it, it says in, in, in both 1 Timothy and in Titus, not, quarrel, not quarrelsome. The Greek word, I'm going to make, say this just for Dr. Allen's sake. It means amacho. What do you think amacho means? Yeah. Um, you remember macho, macho man Randy Savage? Yeah. Well, amacho, meaning not that. Not a brawler. Yeah. How many, goodness gracious, how many pastors have you met? They're all over social media. I don't even know if they've ever heard Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining or argument, slow to speak, slow to get angry, quick to listen. The Lord has given us two ears to hear and one mouth to speak for a reason. And I know this personally. And the guys, this is what they'll say, pastors that are not gentle. In the guise of iron sharpening iron, they will tear into you. And it's not iron sharpening iron, it's iron piercing flesh. And they will just have a laundry list of everything they find fault with you. And they spiritually injure God's people, and they're going to have to stand before the Lord one day and answer for that. You take a poll, what what, what city was it? Somebody, was it Dane? What city was it where y'all did a knocking every door, and, and, and the question that everybody answered yes to was, have you ever been hurt in a local church? Pastors who are gentle, who treat others as the Lord has treated them. You know, if constructive critique cannot be expressed in keeping with the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible says it's better to let it be unsaid. Where do I get that from? Love bears all things, 1 Corinthians 13. Love covers a multitude of sins. You first have to practice that before you practice Matthew 18. And these pastors who think Matthew 18 is their, the biggest thing that they have. They, first off, it says, go to someone if they have offended you. Personally, offended you. Okay, Sorry. I'm getting off topic. So one of the best ways I have found, one of the best ways I have found to give constructive critique, there's two things. If you are constantly an encourager in that person's life, you're making a deposit in their bank account. And so when you do have to say something that's kind of tough to hear, you say it in a gentle way, but you have credit in that bank account so that when you make a withdrawal, you don't go in the red. If you're not an encourager, you've lost the right to make withdrawal. You'll go negative like that, right? Second thing is, I've learned, is the, the, the sandwich technique. You start with something positive, gently bring up the negative, and then you end with something positive. Gentle. It's hard. I, I was there... Uh, I've sat there next to Dr. Allen one night, and it was kind of a, I didn't think it was going to be a difficult conversation, but he was talking to a church member that wasn't even in trouble. I mean, it was just giving counsel. And I was thinking to myself, man, I wish I could be that gentle and talk to somebody that way. But 
The church needs elders who are gentle. With sheep, that goes both ways. 1 Timothy 5.17, it says, The elders who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Let me read that one more time. 1 Timothy 5.17 The elders who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. The church, I think, not only do we need elders that have some of these qualifications. The church needs more and more sheep who give double honor to those elders who work hard at preaching and teaching. What does that mean? One, it means pay the man, which is what we, one reason why we decided to do, right when Dane and Mr. Cliff came aboard as elders, one of the first things we decided to do is that we've, we've got to pay our pastor because we want to honor him. We can't expect him to continue to do this for nothing. Right? Amen. But double honor. It's not just an honorarium. It's not just paying the man. You know what would be more valuable to him than money that we give him? Not just to, just to like talk him up and, and, and just say, oh, he's, a, he's the best pastor. I mean, honor the word that he spends so hard studying to bring. Uh, he labors to bring a feast for God's people, and nothing's going to bring more joy to his heart than see God's people eat and rejoice and obey it and put it into practice and tell others about it. Right? Right. Double honor. Y'all, I've been a Christian for 23 years. Dr. Richie Allen is the best preacher I've ever sat under. And I'm not here this morning just to pump up how, how great our elders are. It's kind of just turned into that this morning, but I'm not kidding. I appreciate last week we, get, we went home after that sermon, I, and I went on Facebook, and I saw Miss Gina share on her Facebook page. Dr. Richie Allen shared the sermon and said he's the best preaching uh, teacher I have ever sat under. Shared it on a page. That honors him. That honors him. No elder will ever match, ever match every single qualification perfectly. Because us four, we're not perfect. I, I, I was studying for this, and it, it crossed my mind. John, maybe you need to step down. We're not perfect. There's only one who is perfect. You want an elder that will hold firm to this word no matter what the temperature is out there, no matter what the pressure is in here. He's going to hold firm to the word of God to ensure your grandchildren do not lose the gospel. Some elders will be stronger in certain areas and some will be weaker in certain areas, but are they making progress? Are they working on their weaknesses? And y'all, we have a, we have a, you know, I've always heard that when the church has a vision, it should be something that is unattainable. But we have a desire to plant more churches just like this one 
all over this state, particularly the panhandle. All right? But for that to happen, we have to see ordinary believers continually to make progress and take giant steps in the area of leadership and put their yes on the table and say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to be an elder. I'm willing to be a pastor. Here am I, send me. For us to be able to do that, we have to be able to raise leaders from within. And so, are you a leader? Ask yourself, do people follow me? What's your fellowship like? And if you're not now, that's okay. You know what? You have the potential. If you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you, every single person in this room has the potential to be a leader in God's church. And that's got to happen. And unless that does happen all over this country, things will not turn around. Only a spiritual revival, a true spiritual awakening will turn the direction of this country around. So I want to close and pray for that. That, that, that. that God would raise up leaders, not just from here. There's a reason why we went and did that at Shiloh. We're hoping God does the same thing over there. Grace Church isn't going to be able to change the world by itself. But you know what? We can make a difference in Panhandle. We can make a difference in Brazil. We can do our part to push back the darkness. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you because you're the only worthy person to come to and in prayer. And God, you know us. You know our weaknesses. You know who you have called us to be. And God, I ask that you would raise up leaders in this room. God, that you would give them a desire to lead your people. To change them from Sunday school teachers to pastors, God. God, I pray uh, for your will to be done. I pray for our community. God, that you would bring just a, a movement of God. That the gospel would go out. That people would be saved. You alone deserve the, wor- the worship of every single person. We pray that it would happen, God. Use our church, God, for your glory. We ask this in your holy name we pray. Amen.